Shalom, friends at Cornerstone and those who are visiting from afar. It's wonderful to be able to be here to actually kick off the Advent season this week and to be a part of this message series that we've been walking through seasons of stress. And I've entitled this message, How to Experience Peace in the Midst of Stress. And we all have stress. And uh, I want to leave us today with six principles for how to deal with stress in a godly way. And I've actually brought six different stress balls to help us identify those principles. And I don't know if you've ever used these stress balls. I certainly have. And uh, people find them helpful. Uh, some studies have actually revealed that by squeezing a stress ball, uh, it releases endorphins that actually counteract the cortisol in our bodies that creates the stress. And uh, whether or not that science is real, uh, I have certainly found these stress balls to be helpful, especially driving in San Francisco traffic. I squeeze them. And, uh, you know, there's different ways that we can manage stress. We all are going to experience stress at different levels and at different times in life. But God can give us uh, an experience of managing stress that leads to future uh, pro productivity and, and goodness, or we can allow stress to overwhelm us and become a negative factor in our lives. The fact of the matter is that and as, as we enter this Advent season, some of the most profound statements of the promises of God have come in the midst of times of great stress. And so as we enter this Advent season, let's remember that. And in fact, today we're going to look at one of those amazing promises found concerning the coming of Messiah and his birthplace, which is Bethlehem. As we all know from that Christmas carol, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep. The silent stars go by. Doesn't that sound peaceful and idyllic? And yet, the actual promise about the Messiah's birth in Bethlehem came in a season of great stress. And that is also captured in that amazing line in that Christmas carol, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And so we can see, as we go back to this promise, that these hopes and fears do come together in a stressful time with a promise concerning the birth of our Messiah, Jesus. Micah is where we find it. Micah chapter 5, if you want to turn in your Bibles or on your phone apps to Micah chapter 5. Micah was writing 700 years before Jesus was born. And there is a really stressful time that Micah is dealing with. Uh, and he toggles back and forth throughout his whole prophecy between hardship and hope. And so that for us surfaces this question, how do we maintain hope in the midst of hardship? How do we have peace in the midst of conflict? And we have this shockingly wonderful and very specific prophecy that helps us unpack that today. Let me read it for you. The first four verses of Micah chapter 5. 
Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace." This amazing prophecy of God's deliverance of his people comes to Israel during a time of great stress. And we can see several of these stress factors and apply them in our own circumstance today. The first verse identifies the conflict that we're talking about here. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Some versions say, O Jerusalem, because daughter of troops was really a euphemism for the city of Jerusalem where this conflict was occurring. The prophet says, siege is laid against us. In other words, there's a, an army encamped around outside the city bringing a war to the very gates of Jerusalem. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel. The judge of Israel is a euphemism for the king himself, striking him on the cheek, a, a, a sign of, of hostility, of humiliation, war, violence, political and national humiliation. And that's what's going on here. And the backstory is actually found in 2 Kings chapter 18. The king, the judge, that Micah is referring to is none other than Hezekiah, who was a very good king in Jerusalem and in Judah. He became king when he was 25 years of age, and then 14 years later, this attack comes against the city of Jerusalem, this attack uh, by Sennacherib of Assyria. And uh, this is the humiliation that Hezekiah is having to endure. The city is surrounded, and the people, the armies, had just conquered Lachish. Lachish was a town near Jerusalem, and they had completely decimated the city. They had actually impaled all of the leaders of the town on poles. It was a devastating situation, and now Jerusalem was facing that same hostile army. And the king had sent the general of the Syrian Assyrian army to yell to the people who were on the walls watching this siege being laid, don't trust in Hezekiah. Don't believe him when he tells you the Lord will deliver us. And there are actually two archaeological finds that are in the British Museum today that identify this point in history. The first is the Annals of Sennacherib, which you can see here. And on it, Hezekiah talks about, rather than Sennacherib, talks about this very situation. And he writes here, I have confined Hezekiah in the city of Jerusalem, 
the royal city. He's like a bird caught in a cage. And that was really the circumstance that Hezekiah found himself in. And he was being mocked by Sennacherib, the king. And so how do we respond to mockery? How do we respond to stress? Well, it depends on where we look, where we seek answers. I've had the privilege recently of being in the midst of a war zone. In February 24th of this year, when Russia invaded Ukraine, 19 Jews for Jesus missionary families suddenly found themselves in a war zone. And as refugees fleeing from the fighting, Now, of course, the women and children were able to escape and we were caring for them. But the men all were required to stay and fight. And I'll never forget going over there to visit in late April and early May. Uh, It was an amazing experience to be in that war zone. And even though it was so uh, much late in spring, the snow was falling, it was cold, the wind was whipping, and I could hear sirens going off because drones from the Russian army were flying around and and looking and spotting places for uh, rockets to be sent. And so it was a very tense time. And I spoke with Tolik, who is the leader of our work in Kiev, and he said to me something I'll never forget as he talked about all the loss that he experienced, his own apartment had been bombed and he was dealing with separation from his family, the constant threat of war. But he said to me, David, it's a bad time for Ukraine, but it's a good time for the gospel. And what he meant was that even though all of this suffering and all of the stress and anxiety was around him, nevertheless, people were opening their hearts to the Lord. You see, in 2021, There were 19 Jewish people who prayed to receive the Lord there, according to Tolik. But in the first 10 months of 2022, over 100 Jewish people prayed with him to receive the Lord. Isn't that amazing? We can see God's hand at work. And if we get the bigger picture of what God is doing, then the stress and the strain, the anxiety that presents itself can find a context in God's bigger picture. And instead of anxiety, we can be confident in his plan. That's how Jesus, the one who was born in Bethlehem, was able to endure the stresses and strains of life. He endured more than you and I ever have. Uh, We read that even as the king, the the ruler of Israel was struck in the face with a rod. It happened like that to Jesus. In Matthew 26, it says, they spit in his face and struck him. Some slapped him and said, prophesy to us, you Christ. And they spit on him and, and took a reed and struck him on the head. Well, Jesus knew this was to be his experience because he understood the greater plan of God. In fact, that very experience that he had in his suffering and his humiliation had been predicted by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 50 verse 6 says concerning the Messiah, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and from spitting. The Bible tells us that in Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one 
who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, Jesus endured the worst anxiety. He endured the worst stress so that we might be able to bring our stress during seasons of stress to him. And the first principle then, when we face stress in our lives, is to ground that stress, to ground that anxiety at the foot of the cross. Everything that we are enduring, everything that we are experiencing right now, Jesus experienced and more. And so the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The first practice in dealing with seasons of stress is to cast our anxiety on him. In fact, I found myself in certain circumstances in my life leading Jews for Jesus where the pressure, the weight, the burden, the responsibility just weighs me down and I actually in prayer will practice this, casting my anxiety. Lord, take this anxiety from me. And when we find ourselves in stressful situations, the first principle is casting your anxiety upon him. Now, this situation that Hezekiah was facing, that the people of Israel were facing, being surrounded by a hostile enemy, reminds me of some of the challenges that we face as well in our own circumstance. The political upheaval, the cultural challenges what about those situations? I think that perhaps more than at any time in modern history, the cultural and political circumstances that we find ourselves in are causing great stress and strain. And the Bible gives us how we are to deal with that. And I'm sure that King Hezekiah, when he was in Jerusalem, seeing what was happening around him, could have remembered the words of his great-great-great-grandfather David, who wrote in Psalm 122, pray for peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. Jeremiah added to that when he said, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. We are invited to intercede. This is a second practice, especially when we're facing the difficult challenges of the circumstances, the cultural circumstances, the political circumstances that add to our stress and our strain. The Apostle Paul said, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Someone once asked me when I was in the middle of complaining about circumstances I found myself in, well, David, have you prayed about it? And I realized I hadn't. And so I began to intercede. And that's the second practice. Practice interceding for our circumstances. Practice interceding for our city, for our leaders, especially when we find them causing stress and strain and anxiety. Pray. Practice interceding. 
And when we do, there's a, a wonderful intervention that comes. That's what we find in this passage here, this surprising intervention in verse 2. In the midst of all this stress, Hezekiah receives a promise from God that will come about. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. A ruler from Israel coming forth from a very unlikely place, Bethlehem. Bethlehem, he says, though you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. What, what Micah is referring to there is that there's a list of cities, clans that are listed in Joshua chapter 15. And Bethlehem, Ephrathah, is not even mentioned in that list. And so they were a small city. There's actually two Bethlehems and Ephrathah is the smaller of the two. And it is actually, however, the place where David was born. And so because of that, this city became identified with the reign of King David, who was the lineage from whom the Messiah would be born. And so Bethlehem becomes identified early on as the place the Messiah would be coming from. Bethlehem actually means house of bread. Isn't it interesting that the bread of life was to come from the house of bread. And so the amazing thing is that this inconsequential place, uh, compared to Jerusalem, which had, you know, been surrounded, but had the temple, this one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, Bethlehem is the place where God's going to show up. Bethlehem is the place where the promise will be fulfilled. Bethlehem, this unlikely little village, would be the house of bread from which the bread of life would come. And so the third principle for us is to look for God to show up in the unlikely. Look for him in the places that small things occur. God likes to show up in the small details of our life to remind us, I've got this. Maybe you've seen that billboard campaign that's going on in our country right now. He gets us. I'll tell you what, if I had the ability to do my own billboard campaign, it would read instead, I've got this. Because that's what God says to us in the midst of the stress. And we need to look for his intervention in the small places of our lives, in the unlikely places. And what God does is he shows up there in some of the most powerful ways, even though it is unlikely. And, and that's also something very evident in this passage, in this verse, because there's a child who's going to be born in Bethlehem whose goings forth are from old, it says, even from everlasting. So there are two Hebrew words that are used in this passage, kedem which means from ancient times, and ha'olam, which means from eternity. So here's the irony of it all. God shows up in a small way, but he shows up with an amazing, powerful demonstration of a child born, a baby who's from of old, from ancient times. This is the one whom God sends to this unlikely place so that he can bring peace so that he can bring a freedom from anxiety, so that he can 
deliver people and cities in the midst of conflict. And yet we find, despite this amazing luminous promise, the battle rages on. Look at the next verse. It says, therefore, he shall give them up. That is, God himself shall give the people up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. What we see here is that despite this promise, despite the hopefulness of the prediction that God gave to Hezekiah in this difficult circumstance, The promise ultimately would take 700 years to be realized. And so during that time, there would be lots of stress. During that season, there would be lots more conflict. Now, it's an amazing story. If you go and read in 2 Kings chapter 18, how God actually did deliver Hezekiah. But even after Sennacherib left, there were new kings who would come and fight. Actually, Babylon would take Jerusalem into captivity later on. And so this coming judgment um, was going to add more stress over the intervening years until the promise would be fulfilled. And why was this? Why would God give them up? It's because there are consequences to the problems we reap what we sow. God doesn't give up on us, but in the circumstances of life, oftentimes we receive the consequences of our bad choices. And he is willing, because he gives us free will, to give us over to those consequences. But we have choices that we can make regarding how we deal with the consequences, with the brokenness of the world we're living in. C.S. Lewis said it well. He said, there are two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. The brokenness of the world We see all around us the circumstances that add anxiety and stress to our lives in these seasons come because so much of the world has been saying, God, I want things my way, and God says, thy will be done. But a major way of dealing with and practicing peace, practicing Peace in the midst of strife and anxiety is to embrace God's will and not our own. We need to understand the difference. When we're in the midst of a stressful situation, ask yourself, am I stressing over my will or am I searching for God's will? And what we can do in the midst of that stress is to say, instead of what's my will, say to God, thy will be done. And we'll find that he gives us stress, uh, freedom from stress, even in the midst of our anxiety. And this supernatural birth that Micah promised will take place, but the people of Israel had to wait for it. And ultimately, through faithful Zechariah, people like Elizabeth and Simeon and Anna and Joseph and Mary, the promise was fulfilled. So God did allow judgment to come to his faithless people in order ultimately to restore them. And that restoration is what this verse also speaks about because it speaks about a return. 
that the people would ultimately return to God and find in him the forgiveness, the restoration. And that supernatural birth of the Messiah was what was going to allow that restoration to occur. A plan to heal this broken and messed up world was given birth in Bethlehem. And so we are going to either cling to his plan or cling to the broken world around us. It's our choice in the end. And stress is the natural response to the brokenness of the world in which we live. Restoration is God's work of grace that can only be experienced by those who know what it means to live in brokenness. But you can't know grace. You can't know restoration unless you turn away from the brokenness, unless you see the opportunity to do what the Hebrew word says, which is to return, to shuv, to turn around from the direction we're going in and go in the opposite direction. And so that is another principle that we need to practice during seasons of stress and anxiety, and that is to return, to shuv, to repent. The only way to experience peace in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of the anxiety that we have, is to return to him. Practice returning. Practice repenting. And then we will be joined, as the scripture says here, with the rest of our brothers. That return, that repentance is the means by which we can choose to grab onto grace instead of grabbing onto the brokenness of this world. And what is that grace? Well, grace looks like a person, the person of promise, the person who was born in Bethlehem. And this last verse says it so beautifully. And he, that is the Messiah, that is the one who's born in Bethlehem, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell securely, and he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. There is a peace to be found in the midst of stress, in the midst of conflict, and it is the peace of Messiah himself. And we need, as a sixth principle, to practice the presence of shalom, practice the presence of God. It says he will stand, that is, he will remain, he will endure. It says he will shepherd his people. David was a shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd in Psalm 23. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He's the one who can lead us beside still waters for his name's sake, even in the midst of the stress. Psalm 23 reminds us that the good shepherd has a place of peace and quietude if we come to him, if we practice his presence. He will come in the strength of the Lord, not in human strength, but in divine strength. He will come in the majesty that is in the full strength of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He will be great. His reign will be to the ends of the earth. He shall be our peace. You see, shalom is not the absence of stress. Shalom is not the absence of anxiety. Shalom, true peace, is the presence of God, even in the midst of stress. And that's what Jesus, the Prince of Peace, offers to us today. 
Can we practice the presence of shalom? These six principles will help us to deal with seasons of stress. And I want to invite us all to pray for that by using the last words that I mentioned from this wonderful Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. In just a moment, the band is going to come and conclude us with a final song. But I want you to remember that phrase, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee. That is the one born in Bethlehem, are met in thee. That is the one who is our peace tonight. If you know that phrase, can you sing it with me and sing it as a prayer as we conclude today? The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Lord, we thank you that we come to you in a season of stress with hopes and fears. But we know that as we ground those fears, those anxieties at the foot of the cross, as we intercede for the circumstances and the situations of our lives, uh, as we, Lord, seek out your face and return to you, as we seek the shalom that comes through repentance, through the practicing the presence of God, that we will find peace in the midst of conflict, joy in the midst of a season of stress. May that joy be ours, we pray, in the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus our Messiah. Amen. Amen.
All right, what a blessing to be able to welcome in his peace. And even now, Lord, we welcome your peace. We welcome your goodness. We welcome you, our Savior, the one who was born, the one who has come. We want to have our hearts ready and open. <sighs> yeah, Prince of Peace, come and meet us in the anxious places. Be our promise giver and be our great reward. Help us to love you more and trust you better. Yeah, in the days ahead. So let's stay connected. Remember, don't forget the Rise and Shine Challenge. Jump into that. It's the Advent calendar. It's what we're sharing together. There's a lot of blessing there as we make our way to Bethlehem. Yeah, make room for him. Yes, let's do this. Our Prince of Peace, come even now, Lord. And bless my friends, brothers and sisters, in Jesus' name.